You may not understand this, though some of you will. It's not that difficult. What some poor the gift he gives to see our sin as others see us. It was from money of fancy free us and foolish notion. Robbie Burns. In this reading, which is brief but deep, we may see ourselves as well as seeing Joseph and his brothers. It's a fantastic piece of scripture, very applicable to most lives. So, Joseph is still the chief honcho in Egypt. His brothers and his father have been reconciled with him. The father has died. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brother's sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Um, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35. It can be found on page 986 of your Bibles. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd be really grateful if you would open your Bibles at that Genesis reading. But before we go there, let me pray. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Lord God, we pray for your Word to do its work this morning, that it would cut deep into our hearts, that we might leave this place changed with a greater desire to live for Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, a picture's going to come up behind me um, of a man doing a bungee jump. And just put your hands in the air. If you were this guy, would you do this? Okay, would you walk out onto the Tacoma Narrow Bridge in Washington and jump out between the traffic down to the water below. Just a show of hands. You don't have to do it in your body. If you're doing it in this guy's body, would you do it? Kind of show of hands. Okay, a few people. A few people would do this. Okay. Now, um, let me give you a little bit more information about this, um, this story, because this is a true story. Okay. And um, this, this chap goes down to the bridge at half past four in the morning with ten of his mates. And they've been down at the pub all night drinking heavily. And he's more than half cut when he walks out to the middle of this bridge. And um, at 4.30 in the morning, they get down, and he's adamant he's going to do this jump. He's going to jump off the bridge. And his mates are like, you're not going to do it. Anyway, they get down there, and they realize no one's bought the bungee cord. So the chap finds this coil of lineman's cable. You know that thick metal rope stuff? And he ties one end of that to the bridge. And he ties the other end of it to his leg. And as he stood on the edge of this bridge, kind of put your hands up, would you do the jump now? Okay. Now that you know the full picture, actually it helps to make your decision in the moment. Whether or not to do this would be a good thing. Now, do you want to know what happens? For those of you who are a bit squeamish and don't want to happen, put your fingers in your ears. Okay. So, so this guy takes the jump. He's on the edge and he jumps. And after 40 foot of falling, the cable pulls tight, and the guy's foot comes clean off his leg, and he plummets down into the icy water below, and there's a fishing boat down there with two guys on it. They pull him out of the water, and he survives to tell the story, but they never find his foot. The man's name was Kerry Bingham. And kind of what I hope we go away with today is this. When we grasp the full picture, it helps us to make decisions about life. It's really important to grasp the big picture about life. Now, we've been looking at the life of Joseph over the last few weeks as we've been studying this series, and we've seen that Joseph has been famous for his technicolor coat and his technicolor career. He went from kind of being Potiphar's slave uh, to going to prison and then to being prime minister, if you like, in all Egypt. He had a technicolor coat, a technicolor career, but he does not have a technicolor character. Now, that might sound a little bit dull to you, even boring. It might sound appealing to have a technicolor 
character. After all, variety is the spice of life, isn't it? But by saying that Joseph didn't have a technicolor character, I'm not saying that Joseph was a bit like a robot and didn't have kind of emotions. Far from it. He was a man of intense emotions. He wasn't British about his emotions, like a kind of granddad would kind of firmly shake you by the hand, and that would be the only emotions that kind of would be shown to you if he was happy with you, or maybe kind of nod, nod to you by taking off his cap. Joseph wasn't like that. He was an emotional guy. Let me try and show you a few key incidents from Joseph's life to prove that to you. Do you remember his brothers went from Canaan down to Egypt to go and buy some grain? There was this worldwide famine. And Joseph's the number two in Egypt at this point. He's a kind of top guy. He's Egypt's prime minister, if you like. And he sees his brothers coming from a long way off. He sees them and recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Some toing and froing later, some sacks of grain and cups in a sack. And eventually, time comes for Joseph to make the big reveal to his brothers. Would you look with me at... Um, Uh, Page 50, Genesis 45. Remember, Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold as a slave. He's now been in Pharaoh's service for a while. He's 39 years old now. 22 years had passed since he'd seen his brothers. Arguably, Joseph's a different man, and so are they. Chapter 45, verse 1 and 2. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, "'Make everyone leave my presence.'" So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Here's an emotional man. Do we see that? This is not just a kind of a firm handshake to his brothers or the kind of nod of a cap. This is kind of real emotion. He cried. He wept loudly. Flick over the page to Genesis 46 and verse 29. Here's this father-son reunion. He hadn't seen Jacob, his father, for 22 years. Look at verse 29 on the next page. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. He's a man of emotion. And coming to our passage, Genesis 50 and verse 1, his father died sometime later. Genesis 50 verse 1, Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph had emotions. So what do I mean that Joseph didn't have a technicolor character? Well, it's not to do with his emotions at all. It's more to do with the fact that Joseph's not like me. You see, I can blow hot and cold depending on the circumstances in my life. My well-being fluctuates, and so does my attitude towards life. When life's going well, I can whistle as I walk. I can have a skip in my step. I can feel good kind of when I hear nice things said about me or my family, it kind of makes me feel good. And I can sometimes feel a bit puffed up and think a bit more highly of myself than I ought to. And when things get difficult, when the pressure's on, when I'm challenged or up against it and face ridicule, well, then I can sulk. And then I can want revenge. I can go up and down because of the circumstances of my life. I can seem confident one minute and then crush the next. I can seem calm until I get rubbed up the wrong way, uh, and then I can act out. I have a technicolor, changeable character, which depends on my circumstances. And if you're anything like me, then I think the issue is this. We're unlike Joseph in that we're not grasping the big picture in life. Let's go to the next slide. I've got two points for us. 
my two points to this. First one, we've got to grasp the big picture about life in the present, and we've got to grasp the big picture about life in the future. And those two things need to go together. So let's think about this, uh, grasping the big picture about life in the present. Genesis 50 and verse 20 is arguably the statement in the whole Bible for the sovereignty of God. There's no stronger statement in all of Scripture than these words of Joseph to his brothers about God being in complete control of everything in his life. And I pray that this, for someone here, would become very, very real as we go through with this. A real comfort, depending on what you're going through in life. Look at verse 20 with me. You intended to harm me, Joseph speaking to his brothers, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. Boys, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That is, Joseph's recognized the big picture about life in the present, that God is in complete control of everything Joseph goes through. That is, nothing makes God say whoops over Joseph's life or yours. And Joseph had got a handle on this, both the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, that God's in control. If you like, he'd learnt the Romans 8, 28 principle, okay? That kind of, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. Now, please hear me right. Not everything that you and I go through in life is good, We live in a fallen and broken world. Sin and death and evil are real. And we inhabit fallen sinful bodies too. So of course not everything in life is going to be good. But here's the point. God can and does work for the good of his people in all things. And Joseph's our showcase example of that. And he's a realist, Joseph is. He doesn't sweep his brother's actions under the carpet, and he doesn't pretend what they did to him was good, when in fact it wasn't. He acknowledges, look boys, you intended to harm me, but even though you did that, God intended it for good. And he'd lived this lesson, hadn't he? Kind of prison. I mean, that would have been really hard to go through after doing nothing wrong. He'd learned that God uses all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to to his purposes. And for us, I think much of the time we can only acknowledge this retrospectively. When we go through a tough time, it's only when we look back on something that we can see sometimes God's hand at work. And there's sometimes we won't understand why we've gone through a tough time until we reach heaven. And I think Joseph had understood that as well. Now if we're clear on the providence and sovereignty of God, well that's going to be seen outwardly in our conduct towards other people. That is, we're going to display a constant godly character, regardless of life circumstances. So if we've grasped the big picture about life, if we've grasped that God is sovereign and in control of all things, well then I won't be pulled too far down by negative comments and difficult experience in life. Nor will I be puffed too far up in the good times and by those ego-enhancing comments that might come my way either. You see, knowing God's providence evens a person out. It gives us balance. It enables us to have that consistent, godly character. 
Well, just zoom into our text with me for a minute. Let's look at verses 15 to 17. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph. They didn't do it themselves. They sent word to him saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. What's going on here? What's going on here in these words? Well, Joseph occupied 10 Downing Street in Egypt. Okay? He kind of had the full control of a military superpower at his fingertips. And in the wake of his father's funeral, Joseph's brother's guilty conscience comes to the surface. What if Joseph still holds a grudge against us? That colourful rep sheet would have come kind of before their eyes. Gosh, we did treat him badly, didn't we? The gang attack, the attempted murder, the robbery, the ABH, human trafficking. Do you remember we sold him for 20 pieces of silver? He was handed over to slave traders. The intimidation that we put on him, the neglect. Well, the list could go on. It's a long sheet. Horrible crimes to be committed against a family member, even a minor. So... No wonder the brothers are a tad concerned. Now dad's out of the picture. What's to stop Joseph from pulverizing us? So the conclusion the boys had reached probably was something like this. He only loved us. He was only kind to us because dad was around. Now dad's out of the picture. He's not really going to forgive us for those things that we've done. He doesn't really love us after all. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I think that's the reason why Joseph wept. When this phony word, this concocted instruction, reached the ear of Joseph, it came like an arrow piercing the heart. Do you know, at this point, Joseph had lived with his brothers and his dad in Egypt for 17 years. 17 years of those kind of brothers thinking, Joseph's not really forgiven us. Joseph's still holding a grudge against us. Isn't that why Joseph was weeping? I think it, I think it is. What do you think? From, from the pain of my brothers don't really think I'm the real deal. They don't think I'm genuine. So what does he do? Verse 18, the brothers come before him. They throw themselves down and say, look, we're your slaves. Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Don't be afraid. You intended to harm me. God intended it for good. And then he says again in verse 21, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you. And I'll provide for your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. That is, Joseph showed a consistent godly character. He didn't think of himself too highly, verse 19. He's not in the place of God. And he didn't think of his brothers lowly either. They weren't his slaves, they were his brothers. And he loved them. And Joseph models to us what real forgiveness really looks like. Real forgiveness doesn't use my position of power over someone else. I don't use my position of power to make you feel scared of me. It relieves fear. That's what true forgiveness does. It puts the other party at ease, no matter what they've done. And when you forgive, the Bible says we're to go on forgiving, like Joseph did. And here's the challenge. Is that us? Is that you? And is that me? 
Are we people of consistent godly character in the present, not being pulled too far down and not being puffed too far up, but kind of consistent? And arguably, Joseph says, if that is us, that's going to be seen in how we forgive people outwardly as we've been forgiven by God. Well, the next big thing to grasp is the big picture about life in the future, much more briefly. You know, Joseph had a very, very successful life, didn't he? He reached the pinnacle of fame. Everybody knew about him. He was way more successful than you and I will ever be in this life. He was prime minister of a huge superpower in Egypt, and yet he doesn't think that that's all there is to life. He recognizes all that he's achieved is not what life's actually all about. He knows the present's good and the present's from God, but he knows the best is yet to come. The best is still yet to come. That's the perspective that Joseph wants us to have, to know the best is yet to come. Look with me down at verse 24. I know it's outside my text, but we're finishing off this series. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. See, he was a man with a godly, consistent confidence in the promises of God. He'd grasped the big picture about the future, that the best is still yet to come, that God will come good on his promises, that God will keep his word. And Joseph was confident that God would do that, that he would get to the promised land, even if they had to dig up his bones and kind of carry him there. So here's my kind of question to us. What is it that grabs our attention in the present that stops us from thinking about what's to come in the future? What is that for you? What kind of brings your gaze down now? Is it kind of family or fame or fortune or kind of fantasy or freedom, fun? What is that for you that kind of stops you thinking about the return of the Lord Jesus and the resurrection of your body on that day? Some of you will know that Mel and I took a a little mini break last weekend. We went to North Devon with the kids. We had a great time, just for a few days. And... um, there was a really nice indoor and outdoor swimming pool. And I was trying to help Tyler to kind of swim underwater a kind of width of this swimming pool. And he tried over and over and just couldn't do it. And he was kind of really struggling to get to the end. And I was saying, just hold your breath a little bit longer and you know, you'll get there. And the problem was he was swimming with his eyes closed. So we borrowed Joel's goggles, my kind of little one, really tiny goggles, and he put them on. And his kind of eyes were open and he could see where he was going. And do you know, the first time he put those goggles on, he got there first time. He could see where he was going. Can you see where you're going? Have you grasped the big picture about life in the present and life in the future? You know, and have you kind of got your eternity goggles on, if I can use that? Now, I didn't bring any goggles, but I've kind of Joel's goggles wouldn't fit me, but I've bought some kind of some shades. Have you got your eternity shades on? Can you see that kind of your decision whether or not to put on the eternity goggles matters. 
And if you don't have them on, well, that's more absurd than that man jumping off the bridge, and arguably, you're going to lose more than just a foot. And if you're not sure about your relationship with God, if you can't yet see into eternity, well, speak to someone. Speak to the person that you came with today. Don't leave here without being prayed for. Uh, Come and find me. I'd love to pray with you this morning. If something from this talk has stirred something up in you, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to encourage you in that way. I'll speak to Mike uh, as well. And if you have grasped the big picture about life in the present and life for the future, well, press on knowing the sovereignty of God and the providence of God and be people of a consistent godly character, forgiving as God's forgiven us, with a consistent godly confidence that God will do what he's promised. Well, I think it's summed up in this, this, this Bible verse. Let's go to our next slide. It's summed up here, isn't it? Present belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who rescues us from hell through the cross for heaven and the future everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you sent your son into the world to save us. Please help us to understand the full depth of what that means to us. Help us to be those who have a consistent godly character in the present and a consistent godly confidence in your future promises. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.